Welcome everybody to our August episode of The S Word, a podcast about suicide prevention. My name is Sarah Kolbeck. I am the director of the Division of Suicide Prevention at the Medical College of Wisconsin. And I am flying solo this month as my partner in crime, Dr. Andrew Schramm, is doing the work of suicide prevention in a clinical setting today and is with um, a patient clinically. So wishing Andrew the best and we will talk to him again next month. So I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, We have a wonderful guest, Gina Orlando, who's the area director of the Wisconsin chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, She is a close friend of mine and is just such a, a wonderful advocate for suicide prevention. So I'm very excited to talk to her today. Just a reminder, as part of our episode today, we will be discussing uh, suicide as an issue. And so if at any point during um, your listening of this episode today, you feel um, distress or any other um, emotions kind of coming up for you, please feel free to step away, come back. We will be here when you get back. There are also resources available if you are ever concerned about yourself or a loved one. We have the three-digit dialing number 988 now for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And the crisis text line is available by texting the word TALK to 741-741. So with that, I would like to introduce again Gina Orlando. Gina is, as I said, the area director for the Wisconsin chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is the nation's largest foundation that is dedicated to suicide prevention specifically. So welcome, Gina, to the episode. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Great. Gina, would you mind just kind of talking to us a little bit about the role that you have with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the work that you do across the state? Absolutely. So as the area director, my job is really to work in tandem with our local chapter to drive our mission, which is to save lives and bring hope to those affected by suicide. Some of the things that I really focus on are cultivating volunteers. Um, For those who don't know, our work really is driven by our amazingly dedicated volunteers like yourself. And I'm kind of the the solo staff person who, who kind of works along with them. So we together build a plan for the year and then work together to implement that plan in all of the areas that we can across the state. Some of the other things I focus on are program implementation. We want to be sure that our programs are reaching as many people as possible. So I look for organizations to partner with to bring our programs, things like Lunch and Learns for organizations and programs for schools to help make mental health a priority and and help our young people understand what mental health is and that it's something that we can tend to just like our physical health. And then a big part of what I do is also fundraising to be sure that we have the resources to bring those programs and drive, again, drive our mission. So those are my main responsibilities, but I wish I could describe an average day in the life of, (laughs) but there really isn't an average day. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you're the one area director for the entire state. And so given, you know, how diverse and relatively big Wisconsin is, um, that that is a big job. So thank you for the work that you do. It is my privilege, truly. 
So as you're comfortable, Gina, could you just talk a little bit about what brought you to the work of suicide prevention? Sure. So it was a, it's a long, long journey here. I had my own attempt in my teenage years, uh, 13 to be exact. I don't think I know that back then I didn't have any clue what was happening with my brain. Uh, I had gone through things that a 13-year-old just shouldn't have to go through. Um, and, and it was a means of coping. I've come a long way since then. And I always like to share that it has been very many years since I was in a place uh, of feeling suicidal, though I have managed my mental illness and mental well-being since then. Um, but moving on from there in my, in my late teens, I lost two of my very close friends to suicide and they were brothers and they died within two years of each other. At the time, something in me knew that this could have been prevented. And I didn't, I didn't know how, I didn't know what, or if I could have done anything differently, but something in, it just told me that. And, and a couple of years later, a friend of mine, I was working at the Home Depot and somebody brought me a brochure for the Out of the Darkness Walk. Uh, it was the first overnight walk. It was in 2002. And I always get chills when I tell this story because it really was um, seeing the organization name, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Those two words solidified everything that I knew. That was the first time I heard the phrase suicide prevention or saw the phrase suicide prevention, and it just changed my life. And so I started following them loosely. Uh, this was back in, again, early 2000s. I did not live at home. My mom had the internet, which was still very novel at the time. Yes. Um, I, I started to check them out because I wanted to arm myself with information. And I finally found a way where I could, you know, a website that I could look up information. And so when I would have conversations about suicide prevention or mental health, I could have facts and figures. And this really drove me. And now all these years later, here we are, I helped to found the chapter in Wisconsin in 2013. Um, and was privileged to be offered a job in 2019. And there, there's so much in between there that I'm skipping over, but I could talk That's about okay. it all day. So. <laughs> I know when you and I get together and start talking, I feel like we could talk for hours. So <laughs> yeah. thank you for sharing your story, Gina. So many of us that work in this space of suicide prevention have our own lived and living experience. And I think it drives the passion for the work that we do. And I definitely see that in you as well. Thank you. So this is something I ask every guest, and I'm really curious to hear what you have to say. But what is one thing you wish everyone knew about suicide? I think the one thing I wish everybody knew is that it is preventable. It's the cause of a long fought battle in many cases, just like people who die from cancer or any other debilitating disease. There are things that we can do to prevent it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's still far too many misconceptions, far too many stigmas about mental illness and what leads to suicide. 
And that's a really easy way of putting it, but I do wish that people realized that it was preventable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is foundational, obviously, to the work that that we do and that American Foundation for Suicide Prevention does and the work that I do professionally. And it's still such a misconception out there that it's not preventable. And so I think as much as we can talk about that and bring that to the forefront for people, it's just so important to the work that we do. Absolutely. So I'm going to transition a little bit and talk about some of the work that you do specifically in your role. And much of the work that you do focuses on loss and healing for survivors of suicide loss. So can you talk a little bit about the work that you do in this space of loss and healing and why it's so important? Yes, I'm glad that you bring up loss and healing because I think, you know, looking back to 1995, uh, the first time I lost somebody I loved to suicide, there were no resources, at least that I knew of. And navigating the loss, the complexities of the loss, especially, I mean, I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every time you turn around, there's for other types of loss, there's, there's resources available and they're there. Everybody knows about them, even if you've never experienced fill in the blank type of loss, but it's so important to have these resources available for people when they lose someone to suicide. So we have a lot of different things. One of my favorite programs that AFSP offers is called Healing Conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's a program that connects a recent, well, and sometimes not recent. We've gotten requests from people who experienced their loss 20 years ago. And it's the first time they're taking any steps towards healing or acknowledging that they lost somebody to suicide. But this program connects lost survivors who request a visit with one of our volunteers who has experienced a similar type of loss. Mm -hmm. So in a perfect world, I should say, that volunteer will, if if it's somebody who has lost a friend to suicide, they will be connected with one of our volunteers who's lost a friend. If it's somebody who has lost a child, they will be connected with one of our volunteers who has lost a child. And that person is really there to, to listen to their story, to help point them to these other resources that we have, and to share, if the, if the law survivor asks, to share some of their story. And it's really about taking the first steps in that path towards healing. And this is, again, something that I didn't have. I didn't know many people who had lost somebody to suicide when I was young. Looking back, I'm sure there were many people in my life who had, but again, not talking about it, not knowing that this is something that is okay to talk about and is so stigmatized. So that's one of the things. One of the other programs we have is called International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. And these events are held across the state. Last year, we had Seven, I want to say, in the state mm-hmm. of Wisconsin. And it's a day, it's always held on the Saturday before American Thanksgiving. It's a day really that just brings people together and share and comfort each other and, and truly build a community of support. Mm-hmm. People make lifelong friendships after attending an International Survivors of Suicide Loss event. They're always different and each community is empowered to kind of do what they what they think is going to work best for their 
group. Um, some of the things that we've done are art projects and different, uh, we always have some kind of food because <laughs> I truly believe that you can build some of the best connections through eating. And yes. Food. Um, well, one of the important pieces of the day is screening one of our documentaries. Each year, AFSP produces an, a documentary that follows lost survivors. Mm-hmm. And you can find these on our website, AFSP.org. And you can you can watch them anytime. But we we watch them on Survivor Day. And then after we screen the film, we have an open discussion. What resonated with us? What and it kind of brings out um, things that each of us maybe went through after our own loss, mm-hmm. and really again just helps. It really helps you feel that you know you, people tell you all the time that you are not alone. It's one of those phrases these days, and it's a great phrase, but but to truly feel that is something different, and that's what happens at Survivor Day is you really start to realize that you're not alone and it helps you feel comfortable talking about your loss and having this community that so many others have when they lose somebody Mm -hmm. that a lot of often when we lose somebody to suicide, we don't feel we have that. Mm -hmm. So that's one of my, my most favorite events of the whole year. And it's at, it's at a time where we're going into the holidays and maybe need that reminder Mm-hmm. that we really aren't alone and a way to also share that kind of year with our loved ones that we lost and remember them because we should be able to remember them the way that we remember any other lost loved ones. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Um, we have other things too, things like uh, reading list, recommended reading lists for people who've lost somebody to suicide and mm-hmm. And books to help guide your healing journey. I know that sounds so in, like so weird, like, oh, let me read a book and learn how to heal. But these things that you don't even think about, you know, that can really just help you figure out and, and realize that some of the things that you're going through are okay. That's mm-hmm. one of the other pieces about um, losing to somebody, someone to suicide and the importance of our healing journey is we experience emotions. Mm-hmm. like. Like, I'll just go ahead and say relief. Mm-hmm. Relief is something nobody wants to admit that they're feeling when somebody died because mm-hmm. that sounds can sound horrible. But just like when you watch somebody struggle through a, a hard fought battle with any other life ending disease, mm-hmm. you know, this person is now not in pain, if that's mm-hmm. how you want to look at it. I mean, for some, you might have worried about where they are. You know, there's so much that comes along with some severe mental illness Mm -hmm. and the disruption of that. Mm -hmm. And so the feeling of relief happens. Mm -hmm. And being able to openly talk about that with somebody else and not feel like a horrible person it really can be life-changing mm-hmm. and giving you validation that you're, you're not awful for feeling that it's not that you are grateful. It's just, it's just a feeling of now I know, mm-hmm. and I'm not worried anymore. Right. Is the only way that I can put it. So mm-hmm. 
I think having resources available to help you with some of that, com- the complex emotions of that, it's so important. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most important things we can do is really reach people before they need us. Mm-hmm. When people die from cancer, that most of us know the organizations that we can go to, to find resources for that, or organizations to go to while somebody is struggling. Mm-hmm. And it's, so important that we let people who are struggling with their own lived experience, as well as those who have lost somebody or haven't lost somebody, but so that if we do, we do know where to turn, Mm -hmm. just like we know where to turn in those other instances. That's such an interesting way to put it, Gina, is thinking about other life-changing, even life-threatening health diagnoses there are all of these resources. And I think about like palliative care and how that kind of helps people that are for somebody that has a life-threatening disease, provides those folks with the support for managing that and managing, you know, even afterwards managing grief. We don't have something like that for the chronic health issues of, of serious mental illness. And so I really appreciate that framing. And I'll I'll say I was part of an international Survivors of Suicide Loss Day event last year. It was the first event that I was able to be a part of as a volunteer. And as somebody who's not a suicide loss survivor, I just was, I think, really humbled to be in that space with survivors, even though the event was very raw. I guess I don't even, it was just almost a sacred space for these conversations. It really showed me the power of being able to connect and and receive support from people that have similar experiences. And so I would encourage anybody that has experienced a suicide loss to check out some of the the resources that Gina's mentioned, because I do think that they are, like you said, Gina, really life-changing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think one other thing that I didn't mention and, and that I don't always think of as a loss and healing resource, um, but is our, our out of the darkness walks. Mm-hmm. I want to share one story that that it's one of my favorite memories from doing the out of the darkness walks. Um, I started sharing the Milwaukee walk and I can't even remember, I think it was 2013 or 14. And shortly after, so for anybody who's never been to an out of the darkness walk, one of the things we wear are honor beads and we have all these different colors that signify your connection to the cause. One of them is loss of child and those beads are white. And I received an email a couple of weeks after the walk from a father who lost his daughter to suicide. He said that he had gone to the walk that day reluctantly. Because his wife wanted him to go. He didn't really want to go. He really had not accepted that his daughter died by suicide. And he said that he was walking near the honor bead tent. And he saw the big sign with all of the different colors listed. And then he saw somebody wearing white beads. Mm -hmm. And he said that that was his first time accepting. Mm -hmm. That he lost his daughter. And it was the first time that he acknowledged it. And he walked up and he picked up his beads and he put them on. And he started to heal. Mm -hmm. 
It's a beautiful story. It's just a, you know, and I've been part of these walks and I, I'm getting us a little bit off topic here, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a conversation. I think that, you know, folks sometimes approach these kinds of events, awareness events, maybe with a little bit of trepidation. And I think part of that is because suicide is still a stigmatized issue. And I think also that there's a little bit of fear in that vulnerability and and being vulnerable. When I participated in the Milwaukee Walk last year, I wore honor beads for myself as somebody who struggles. And even that felt a little bit scary. But seeing other people that identify in the same way that have had the same experience by the end of the walk, that fear was gone. Um, and it just was, and I, so I can certainly understand the the power of, of that moment for that father. Yeah. I'm sure there are thousands of stories just like that from these walks. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do, like I said, I just, I don't always think about it as, as part of the loss and healing, but they really mm-hmm. are. The walks really are. So as I said, and, and we've talked about this in other episodes, suicide is, is really a stigmatized issue in, in many circles um, still. And how does that stigma impact survivors of suicide loss? Significantly. Mm-hmm. Feeling like, you know, so one, one thing I always talk about when somebody dies of another cause, you, you often see an outpouring of support. Uh, we talk about dinners being, you know, meal trains and casseroles and all of the things that happen when somebody dies. Well, when somebody dies by suicide, often even the the most well-intended person shies away from offering that help mm-hmm. because they don't know what to say or it's awkward for them. Maybe they're not sure if the person is sharing that it's a suicide. So, I think that's what can make it so isolating mm-hmm. is people are not reacting to you they, the way that they would if someone else, if you had lost that person to another cause of death. It makes you feel alone. Mm-hmm. And then almost like, well, they're uncomfortable. So now I don't want to talk about my loss with the people who are my closest friends mm-hmm. because it's awkward and I don't want to make it hard for them. The last thing we should have to worry about when we lose someone is making it awkward or hard for somebody else. Right. So the best advice that I can give to anybody, and I get asked the question often, how, what's, what, what's the best thing I can do for somebody if I know they lost somebody to suicide? Do the same thing you would do if they lost the person any other way. This is a person who is grieving, who lost somebody that they love. Mm-hmm. And they need support. So if you're the kind of person who would start a meal train, then start a meal train. Mm-hmm. If you're the kind of person who would take them out to dinner, then take them out to dinner. Mm-hmm. Just ask them about their loss. Ask them how they're feeling and ask them how you can support them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I have learned in my research wow. is that just being able to talk about their loved one is really helpful and using the person's name and um, acknowledging that person's life and their contributions and what they did and even their struggles is helpful for folks who are who are bereaved and who are struggling with with healing 
So I love that advice. That's great. (laughs) So we talked to Nina Guten a couple of episodes ago. She's a clinical psychologist who specializes in postvention for suicide loss survivors. And we talked about how grief from suicide loss is different than grief from other losses. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has a a training for clinicians specifically on suicide bereavement and how to counsel patients that are bereaved from a suicide loss. Why do you think this type of training is so important and how does this training impact survivors? Well, I think it's important because many times we lose somebody to suicide. I mean, it's so complex and you, some are reluctant to talk to anybody because they think, well, nobody's going to know what I'm going through or, or, or how to treat me. And again, talking about the complexities, the complex emotions that come along with losing someone to suicide. It's important that that our clinicians understand those complexities. So they're able to structure the treatment of that person around those complexities. And we do often get, and I can't stress how important this training is enough because we get people who are reaching out to us specifically asking for a mental health professional that has dealt with suicide loss and suicide grief. And when somebody takes this training, they do get added to a database. Now we don't endorse necessarily, but we're able then to, to look at that list and actually provide that person with a resource. It's, it's something that, you know, when you, when you have to tell them, no, there's not somebody that does that, again, it makes it isolating. Well, why isn't there right. somebody who specializes in this? Mm-hmm. This is what I need right now. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of this, I, I, and I might be getting off a topic, but the, another reason I think it's so important is in all the time that I've been doing this work, and it's been a long time now, I've only been professional for a couple of years, but I've been, like I said, I lost the first person I loved in, in 1995. Oh, like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but so often I meet mental health professionals that don't even think about suicide. It's not part of what they do. Suicide prevention is not a part of what they do. And it boggles my mind because the crux of what they do is treating mental illness. And if we Mm -hmm. don't treat mental illness, what can happen is people can die from suicide. Mm -hmm. So the fact that there's no, like there, there's often not a correlation. Mm -hmm. I think that this training should be a part of any grief support training. Mm -hmm. People who are going to, to become, um, who are going into the field of grief support and grief therapy, they shouldn't have to take this separately. It should just be right. part of it yep. because this is a very significant type of grief mm-hmm. and it's affecting so many people. Mm-hmm. So all of that to say, it really can make the difference for that person who is on this journey, who is reaching out for help, which is such a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it can make them just feel again, that thought of, I'm not alone. This is actually an area of practice for people. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody out there that I can talk to who might actually understand my grief and therefore be able to provide me tools for how to manage that grief. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that forward. And I agree with 
your call that this should be something that's just part of part of education for folks. And I think the more that we talk about integrating support for mental health into a person's kind of whole health care, hopefully, you know, the closer we'll we'll get to that integration. So thanks for bringing that forward. Of course. So if it's okay with you, I want to transition a little bit into another component of the work that you do, and that's advocacy. And you personally do a lot of work in the space of advocacy. You support others as they do advocacy for policies that support suicide prevention. What have you learned as you've done this work around advocacy for suicide prevention? Oh, I love this topic because... (laughs) I am a person who before AFSP, I wouldn't say I was the most informed when it comes to politics, the way a bill becomes a law and all of those things. And when I was talking about when I used to follow them loosely, one of the things that you could do was become a field advocate. Mm-hmm. And man, that term scared me away. Yeah, Field advocate, I don't know enough about policy or or politics to do that. Mm-hmm. Man, was I wrong. What I've learned is that, especially for people who are like, I want to get involved with suicide prevention, but I don't know, I don't have a lot of time to volunteer, but I want to help. What can I do? I always tell people that becoming a field advocate takes the least amount of commitment and has the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. What I've learned is that lawmakers are just like us. You don't have to have special skill to go in and tell your story. You don't have to know, you don't have to know how a bill becomes a law. (laughs) But if you don't, it's worth picking out the electric company or wherever. Right. Schoolhouse rack. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, and that, what I learned is that everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. And if you can go in and you can openly share, um, and, and that's if you're meeting with somebody, you don't even have to do that. Mm-hmm. If you care and you know how to click a couple links in an email, you can single-handedly help change the way our system works. And a great example of that is this 988 number that everybody is talking about and, and is on the brains of every everybody I know right now, that three-digit, that transition to a three-digit number happened because of advocacy. Now, I am not going to give AFSP all of the credit. There are lots of organizations who are working in this space and, and working to make this happen. But what I will say, I can only speak for what we did and, and how we did that. AFSP, our field advocates, made over 30,000 calls to our lawmakers on a national and local level. Mm -hmm. In Wisconsin, we have, I think, like 690 field advocates who send emails, who make phone calls, who come to our state capital day. Well, they don't all come. I'd love that. But I can tell you that that is advocacy in action. It took years to make that happen. And it took a lot of collaboration with a lot of other organizations, but it happened because people spoke up because people said, this matters to me. And here's why it matters to me. And in a time of 
I don't even know, contention isn't even the word, in the political environment that we're living in, to see that the National Suicide Prevention Act passed unanimously in both houses on a federal level, you don't see that happen these days. Mm -hmm. It's just more evidence that advocacy works and that this is a subject that anybody can get behind. So I participated, as you know, Gina, with you in State Capitol Day this year outside of my professional role um, and in my volunteer role. And I was I was nervous about it because I knew that I was going to be interacting with legislators who, you know, have very different views than I do from a political standpoint. But one of the things that I found really surprising, I think, is how you're able to reach sort of common ground with people if you're sitting across the table from them or engaging in a conversation via Zoom with them kind of one-on-one or or in a small group, really kind of getting to that humanity that people have around this issue. And I watched you do this with legislators. And I think, you know, a way that you really were able to do that is by sharing your story, like you said, and being vulnerable and then having very kind of specific asks for these folks, uh, which was really helpful. And you talked about, you know, the passage of 988, um, and which is now live as the new three-digit dialing number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Are there other policies that you have been involved in advocating for for suicide prevention that have either been implemented as a result of that advocacy or maybe are on their way to implementation? Well, locally, we, um, both through AFSP and and on a personal level, um, I attended several meetings. Um, a couple of years back, there was a task force for suicide prevention in Wisconsin. Um, and some of the things that came out of that were having the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number listed on student ID cards uh, for both college and, and middle and high school students. Funding for schools to have your peer groups like the mm-hmm. Hope Squad. Yep. There's, been, I mean, there's a lot that's come out of our advocacy work, mm-hmm. but but so much that that hasn't yet. You know, we. I, I want to get it back to 988. I think it's important for people to know. Well, this is monumental in mental health and suicide prevention. But to be honest, we're still advocating for that on a local level because. We need to build an infrastructure to sustain the influx of calls that's going, that is already coming in and Mm -hmm. not just to be able to handle the calls that come in, but to be able to truly be a crisis response when those calls come in, Mm -hmm. mental health crisis response. Right. And so we're still advocating for that. Mm -hmm. It's not done yet. We need, we need more. We need more people, especially here in Wisconsin, reaching out and and saying that this is still a priority. Mm -hmm. This is only the beginning. So there's, I mean, there's so many different things that we want to see, you know, that haven't um, on a federal federal level um, advocating for, I don't like using the term red flag laws, but putting ERPOs in place to make sure that people who are at risk for suicide, that that their loved ones ha- can take recourse mm-hmm. to keep them safe. 
Mm -hmm. These are some of the things that we know are important. And it's not about taking people's guns away. It's about keeping people safe and, and being able to get them through a crisis period to save their lives. Mm -hmm. Right. But yes, advocacy, it, it works. And we can never have enough people in that advocacy army. So if you're listening to this <laughs> and you're even a little bit curious, please reach out to me, to Sarah, just go to our website and check out our advocacy program. It truly does take very little effort and make such a big difference. That's great. It's really important. And it's also kind of fun depending on your level of comfort with sharing stories and and talking to legislators. It's actually pretty interesting to see how this whole process works. So yeah, I would just echo what Gina said. If you're interested in advocacy, AFSP.org, you can get involved by looking there and we'll make sure that that's linked on, on our page as well. So thanks, Gina, for that. As we come to the close of our episode today, I just quickly wanted to ask you, Gina, if there's anything else that you wanted to mention as you as it relates to your work or your story that we haven't already talked about today. I think one of the things I always like to share is that we all play a role in suicide prevention. You don't have to be a mental health professional. You don't have to be an advocate. You don't have to work in suicide prevention, suicide prevention is just being a good human. Mm-hmm. And just like most of us know that if we see somebody fall and hurt themselves, we should check to see if they're okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we realize as humans, if we see somebody hurting hurting mentally, we should ask them if they're okay and and what kind of help they need or how we can help them Mm -hmm. because it really can save somebody's life. Yeah. And and one other thing, and I'm sure that this has been brought up on your podcast before, but ask people, ask them if they're thinking about suicide because being able to ask that question also can save somebody's life. Mm-hmm. We aren't going to plant any seeds. We're not going to give anybody any ideas. But it's our responsibility as human beings to take care of each other mm-hmm. and to know that there are very simple things that we can do to check in on each other, whether that's a friend, a coworker, somebody sitting at the bus stop, just saying two words to a person and recognizing that they might need help can be the difference in that person's life. Absolutely. Thank you for that important reminder, Gina. It doesn't, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be trained clinically. You can um, help just by reaching out and providing a listening ear. And that's so important. Thanks so much, Gina, for talking to me today about the work that you do with loss and healing and advocacy for sharing your story. You're a beautiful human and I'm so privileged to know you. So thanks for being part of our, our podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I was so excited to get the invitation. (laughs) And I couldn't, I could say all the same things about you. (laughs) Thanks, Gina. So thanks so much to our listeners for listening to today's episode. Again, if you have any questions or want more information about any of the programming that Gina talked about today, you can look at AFSP.org. 
You can find the Wisconsin chapter there, and you can also reach out to Gina via that website as well. Our next episode coming up in September is Suicide in the Black Community. We're going to be talking to Janelle Cubbage about suicide and her perspective on suicide in the Black community. And just as a final reminder, if you are concerned about yourself or a loved one, there are resources available. You can dial 988, thanks to uh, organizations like AFSP and others across the country that have advocated for this resource. You can also um, use the crisis text line by texting the word HELP to 741741. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next month. Have a good day.